Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Uh, it's great to be back here with you to worship and to see uh, many familiar faces and uh, meet uh, other new friends. We're so uh, thankful, Sue and I are, and appreciative of your uh, long-standing partnership with us. I can remember when I used to worship here many years ago when I was dating Sue, and uh, now you had the two-minute break just a minute ago. You used to have a nice 10-minute break. I could get a cup of coffee and all that. That was always kind of nice. But either way, I've all, we always just sense a, a real sense of family and caring and sharing, and it's great to be, great to be back here with you. You know, as Rich uh, shared, uh, JBI is a, uh, the best way to describe us is we're a justice partnership organization. We bring freedom, justice, and restoration uh, to the poor and the oppressed in Asia by partnering with local organizations, local churches, local nonprofit organizations, and local businesses. Uh, these are some of the areas we work in India. Uh, we also uh, recently, a couple of years ago, expanded into Nepal, and we still do some, uh, some work in, in China as well. And as we look at the book of Galatians and, uh, and uh, what God has for us there, uh, I'll also be sharing with you a little bit more about, about some, of that, some of that work. Um, as we're, you know, so this morning we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31, and uh, the, the amazing uh, uh, allegory that Paul talks about between a, uh, this, um, looking at the slave woman, Hagar, and the free woman, uh, Sarah, and their, and their lives. And, and, but before we dig into that, um, I want to share with you a story uh, of, of another woman uh, that um, I met, that our team met in India. Her name is Jaya. We met her earlier this year. And she, along with over 200 others, were trapped in an oppressive uh, uh, slavery, forced labor slavery, in a brick kiln. And we came across her story through our investigators, working through our partners and the like. And we found out that um, this was going on. And Jaya was eight and a half months pregnant. Eight and a half months pregnant. The perpetrator would not let her leave that uh, brick kiln for prenatal care and told her, basically, uh, you're going to have to deliver this baby in the brick kiln. And so armed with that information, and the, uh, fa the other facts that we were able to gather, we um, brought the case before the local authorities and we were able to persuade them to go with us um, with, you know, with police and government officials and the like and raid this particular facility. Uh, this is the day of the rescue uh, operation and the, and the uh, victims really uh, testified boldly about what was going on in that whole situation. And there's a short video here I want to show you of the kind of living conditions uh, that Jay and others were in to give you an idea of how awful it would have been for her had she had to. So on that day in January, we were able to bring Jaya out of that situation, um, transport her back to her native village, where just several weeks later, get her the medical care that she needed, uh, connecting her with local, a local hospital in that area, and she would deliver a beautiful, healthy baby boy. Uh, just watch this video, and it'll give you a, a little bit of a sense of So keep uh, the story of, of Jaya in, in mind, in your mind, as we now dig into uh, Galatians. 
And uh, before I move to the end of chapter four, uh, uh, to look at the, the, in, in detail the passages that we're gonna look at, I wanna give you a, 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 just a quick overview of sort of where we've come in, in, in Galatians, where, um, it, where I know you've all been studying. And you know, first of all, uh, Galatians uh, was written by Paul because the Galatians were deserting this gospel of freedom, this gospel of freedom. The Jewish Christians were demanding that non-Jewish Christians follow the law of the Torah. And, and so if you look at Galatians, you know, it really falls into these three different seg segments or sections. The first, chapters 1 through 2, uh, Paul defends the divine origin of his gospel message because the, uh, the Jewish Christians, some of these Jewish Christians, were challenging his authority. So he, def he, def he defends his, the divine origin of the gospel message. And then the second part, which is where we are now, and you all have been in the last week, and we're right at the end of this in chapter 4, is Paul sets forth these arguments demonstrating God's promise to Abra that demonstrating that God's promise to Abra Abraham uh, is received not by works of the law, but through faith, that the promise is received through faith. And then I know later, um, in later weeks, you'll be looking at the practical implications of this amazing gospel of freedom. So early on, uh, Paul announces, you know, he has this argument, we are justified by faith. Uh, a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified, as it says in Galatians 2. And he goes on to emphasize, you know, if righteousness could come through the law, Christ died for nothing. Christ's death on the, uh, on the cross was, was of no meaning. And to, to unpack that then further, he does this through really four very powerful arguments as he looks at um, uh, this idea that we are justified by faith. And uh, his first argument comes from uh, Galatians 3, verses 6 through 9. Let me read this. The problem with getting a little bit older is he's having to use these glasses. Consider Abraham, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So that's his first argument. It's based on this promise. It's not based on, on the Torah, on all, these, on all these laws. Then he goes on to say, um, that explain and argue that the, the law simply cannot justify, and he, he, this comes from Galatians 3.10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. 
Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who, uh, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the, to the Gentiles, might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we may receive the promise of the Spirit. So the law cannot justify, and then he goes on to say that the law, um, that the law came well, he argues the law came well before, came well before the uh, promise that was given, and, um, and the law came well, um, or, pardon me, came well after when the law, um, after the promise was given. The law came well after when the promise was given and well before the promise was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And then his fourth argument is that the purpose of the law was to restrain sin, to restrain sin and bring the need for a savior to light. And he concludes this argument, these four arguments, and this is as, as in, the, um, in Galatians 4. And um, I'm going to read from my notes here because I'm having trouble in the back. That's a problem here. Um, um, we were in slavery. This is from Galatians 4, 3 through 7. We were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of son and sons. And right before then, up a few uh, passages, he talks about these rights being extended to all people, to Jew, to the Jew, to the Greek, to the slave, to the free, to male and female alike. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, we, we read that um, as part of our prayer this morning. Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son or daughter, and God has made you an heir. What an amazing promise that Paul is trying to remind them of, that through faith, through faith, we have now, we've moved out of slavery, and now we are in a place where we are called sons and daughters. We are heirs in God's amazing kingdom. And he goes on to build on that conclusion, and he makes two exhortations. And this is kind of where we are, where we are now today in the scripture that we're going to look at. Um, uh, last week, you looked at... Uh, uh, Galatians, um, you know, uh, right leading up to Galatians 4, 19 through 20. And that was really an appeal be, um, to the, the fact that, you know, he's appealing to them because they're falling back into slavery. They're falling back into this form of legalism. And, it, and, and in last week's passage, he appealed more to his relationship with the Galatians. And at the end of, of that section that you looked at last week, he says, my dear children... For whom I, whom I am again in the pains of childbirth under Christ until Christ is formed in you. 
in his dear, deep love for them. He's seen them as his children. He wants Christ to be formed in them. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. And now he goes on, and this is the, really the final parts of his argument now about how we are justified by faith. And he's um, bringing it to a close and he's appealing back to the Torah and to this amazing story uh, about Hagar and slavery versus Sarah and freedom. So let's just um, look at those scriptures now. Galatians 4, uh, 21, starting at verse 21, says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two different covenants, two different covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai, in Arabia and corresponds to the present day of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad barren woman, you who, who, will never, who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who never, were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So living in freedom. I mean, Paul's uh, uh, essential argument here as he looks at this allegory is basically that um, it's written to persuade us, along with the Galatians, not to follow the Judaizers, into slavery with Hagar and Ishmael, but to follow Sarah and Isaac into freedom. So, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Um, well, I think um, I came across this definition from John Piper um, about freedom, defining freedom, that I think is quite powerful. Full freedom is what you have when no lack of opportunity, no lack of ability, and no lack of desire prevents you from doing, uh, from doing what brings us unending joy. Full freedom is what we have when we lack no, when we, when no lack of opportunity, no lack of ability, and no lack of desire prevents you from doing what brings uh, you unending joy. And you can think about this and sort of break it out into three different uh, uh, stages, if you will. This freedom of opportunity, uh, free, uh, freedom of ability, 
and freedom of desire. And if you think back to Jaya, you know, she, we worked with her, she didn't have uh, that freedom of opportunity. She was trapped in slavery. And we, um, we worked together, we documented that case, but if we had not been able to under, under, find those underlying facts, and if the, if the government had not agreed to go with us, or if there was a tip-off, which sometimes happens in our work, and the slaves were skirted out into some other area, and they weren't there when we raided the establishment, she wouldn't have had that opportunity to bring freedom. And that's what we encounter in our work every day through Justice Ventures, as we try and we work to bring freedom to others. And over this course of this year, we've seen a continuing growth in our work in bringing freedom. We've moved from uh, 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 last year to about 24 rescue operations to this year already 30 rescue operations. And we're seeing continuing lives changed and people um, securing this opportunity of freedom. In, in, uh, on, over the Labor Day weekend, we went through uh, we had an experience where there were actually five rescue operations in five days. It was an amazing to see how God, how God was working. These are some of the slaves that were rescued, and what happens is in a forced labor situation like Jaya's, they receive these release certificates from the government that declare their freedom and entitle them to certain government benefits, which we then, our, our, our lawyers work to make sure that they get. And we've seen, and this is our prayer, as we've grown and as you have partnered with us over the years, we've seen an increasing number of rescues over the year, more people brought into freedom, having that freedom of opportunity. And our prayer is that by the year 2022, we might see that God might give us 10,000 that we've rescued from slavery. So please pray with us about that uh, as we continue on with this work. So you have to have that freedom of opportunity, but then there's also the need to have that freedom of ability. <clears throat> and you know, people who have been trapped in slavery, like Jaya, um, they need to have in you know, that short-term access to um, medical care to, care to make sure that there's a healthy, uh, that she delivers a healthy baby boy. Um, but, in, but also uh, train other forms of training and, and care and assistance. We, we work with, um, families like Jaya's family and others for at least 24 months. And we continue on, sometimes well beyond that, working through our partners, advocating before the government, trying to ensure that people begin to experience those, uh, that uh, uh, more abundant life that God promises us. And all this work that we do, done in partnership, is, and these are some of the various partners that we work with, it's really central to our overall strategy and approach. Um, it involves training and equipping those partners to go out and do that continued work as well, so that we're not shouldering it all, but that we're doing it with partners and that they're doing it well. These are some of the various trainings that we've been going through this year. And it's so encouraging for us this year We've uh, crossed almost 20, not quite, but 20,000 people trained in the process of this training. So we're seeing a greater work, and we're seeing God working further in providing uh, not, only not only freedom of opportunity, but greater freedom of ability for those that we serve. But then thirdly, real freedom, as Piper, as Piper says, has to do with freedom of desire. Are we desiring what is, what is true and what is right. Do we know 
um, the life-changing message of faith in Christ and what that can bring. And so we work with our partners to do that and to see that that happens. I was in May, in, in May I was in the slums of Mumbai on, uh, the, um, on your left, some of our lawyers who work with, on your right, a pastor who's doing some amazing work in one of the very oppressive slum communities in Mumbai. But one of the really heartening stories I heard was how the pastor said that as he worked with our team to bring, to do justice, members from eight different families joined his church in response they came and came to Christ. And it's through that mixture of working together in a holistic way and, and across with many different believers that we're able to see God at work and to see real change uh, come. In Nepal, we train pastors in, uh, of, of various churches to equip them to deal with this issue of human trafficking. Uh, this is Rupa Chetri, one of our workers, doing some training of, a, of a, a number of pastors. And earlier this year, through in response to that training that took place, four of these pastors working through their churches were able to secure the freedom of four different girls who were in the process of being trafficked. Uh, so uh, praise God for that and, and, that, and, and, and that amazing work. And as we continue to see... Um, uh, in China, which has been a very, very difficult place for us to work, um, we're working with believers there as well. This is a, the woman in the center is a um, uh, Christian law, law professor at one of the leading law schools in Beijing, and we're in the process of, uh, tr of working with her and a number of team, team of students, and then also some uh, researchers here in the U.S. as well. <clears throat> Together, we're in the midst of doing a new anti-human trafficking uh, research study in China, and our hope is that that will lay the foundation for us to do much more work in fighting human trafficking in, in China, but collaborating with uh, local Christian leaders to do that work. So please do pray for, that, pray for that work and that God would open the way for us to do more there. But so now let's look a little bit deeper uh, at this. We've looked at this kind of this definition of slavery, but as we look at the scripture passages a little bit further for today's, for today's message, um, what does it teach us about freedom? Well, verses 22 and 23 uh, in there, Paul says, it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, the son of the free woman through the promise. And so remember what happened in Genesis. Abraham is downcast because he and Sarah have no children to fulfill God's promise of becoming a great nation. But God waited until it looked humanly impossible so that Abraham would rely solely on God. Uh, but in Genesis uh, 16, Abraham and Sarah, they weakened they fell back in their faith for a time, and they devised this plan by which they'll use their own resources to help God fulfill his promise. Um, it's easy for us to do that, isn't it, at times? We fall back into our own plans when we think things aren't quite working the way we th it ought. Sarah gives Hagar, her handmaid, to Abraham so that she can bear him a son. So when Paul says in Galatians 4.23 
that Ishmael was born according to the flesh, it means that Abraham ceased to rely on God's power and instead relied on his own power and ingenuity to get a son. Then, 14 years later, in Genesis 21, God does a miracle. God rejects what Abraham was able to produce on his own and promises again that in spite of Abraham's age and Sarah's age, he will have a son by his own wife. So in Genesis uh, chapter 21, verses 1, we read, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Isaac was not born according to the flesh because his birth was the result of God's supernatural intervention in fulfillment of, of God's own promise. Abraham had learned his lesson. The only acceptable response to God's promise is trusting in him, is faith, is faith in him, as Paul uh, emphasizes throughout Galatians. Uh, trust in God's promise, not the works of the flesh that try to bring down God's blessing and, and to try to bring down God's blessing with our own efforts. So Galatians 4.23 sums the story up. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh. The son of the free woman through the promise. But now let's look a little bit further at this allegory. So in verse 24, Paul uh, sees this allegory, uh, which in, that is, he sees them, sees the, sto the story of Sarah and Hagar as representing something more than their literal meaning. So what is he, what is he saying? Well, according to verse 24, Hagar and Sarah, they represent two covenants. First, he focuses on, on this covenant with, with, through Hagar uh, and says, one covenant is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem of the day, for she is in slavery with her children. Hagar's giving birth to Ishmael is done according to the flesh. Abraham and Hagar tried to get God's promise blessing by their own strength, without relying on God's supernatural enablement. And that is just what happened when the law was given at Mount Sinai. The Israelites, they tried to obey the law in their flesh. Like Hagar and Abraham, they depended on their own resources. All that Abraham and Hagar produced on their own was a son who would not be the heir. All that Israel produced when they tried to keep the law on their own was a legalism which would inherit nothing. So another similarity then that we see between Hagar and Mount Sinai is that both of them bear children for slavery. Verse 24 says that the covenant Hagar represents is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. Now since Ishmael was not accepted as an heir, he was no better than his mother, a slave. Similarly, when the Israelites take the law upon themselves and they try to obey as the Judaizers were trying to get them to do, um, they became slaves because, they, no, because no freedom, they had no freedom to do the law from the heart and they're excluded from God's inheritance. 
So then to bring, and then to bring the allegory up to date with, with the Judaizers, Paul says in verse 25, she corresponds, that is Hagar, to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. And, and this really is a direct attack on these Judaizers. Paul's point is that the, these false teachers, these false teachers, with them you will be an Ishmael, not an Isaac. So don't follow these ta- false teachers. Don't fall in to be a slave and not an heir. Then he goes to the other side of this, and he, said, he starts in verse 26, and he turns his attention to Sarah and her child, Isaac. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our, uh, she is our mother. He contrasts the present Jerusalem in verse 25 with the Jerusalem above in verse 26. The Jerusalem above represents the dwelling place of God. Our life and our freedom flow down from him, and our lives are already secure by faith. Sarah represents that city because she gave birth to Isaac, not by reliance on herself, but by by an act of God from above and in fulfillment of God's promise. Therefore, spiritually speaking, She's the mother of all Christians, of of all people, people whose lives are not merely the product of human resources, of our own efforts, but of God's supernatural work in our heart. Now, he goes on into verse 30, and he assures us, he assures us that not the Ishmael types, not the Judaizers, but the Isaac types will inherit the blessings of Abraham, even though they may be persecuted. And finally, Paul concludes in verse 31 that we, that is, we who live by faith in the Son of God and don't rely on what we can achieve on our own are not in the slave category, but we are free. We are in the free. Uh, We are those who are free. And that brings us back to that whole uh, definition is looking at slavery, or pardon me, looking at freedom our definition of freedom that we looked at a few moments ago. Freedom is what you have when there is opportunity, ability, and desire to do what will bring you unending joy. You may not be trapped in physical slavery like Jaya was, but every one of us here wants this full freedom to have occasion and ability to do what you love to do with the result that you live in perfect joy forever. Isn't that what we all want? If that's what we want, then this text is critical because Paul says the Ishmael types don't have this freedom, but the Isaac types do. So why aren't the Ishmael types free? They're not free because they lack the freedom of desire to rest in God's sovereign grace through faith. And therefore, they lack the freedom of ability to understand God's will. And finally, they lack the freedom of eternal joy because the life of legalism that they have chosen leads to destruction. But we, those of us who follow um, with Isaac... We're children of that promise, that promise that's talked about uh, in Galatians, uh, that's Galatians 4.28 says. We've been born of the Holy Spirit. The essence of Christianity really is 
the miracle of new birth. Through faith in Christ, we have been changed, transformed at the very center of our lives. Our delight is in God and in our desire to do his will in reliance on his power. That's what it means to be born according to the Spirit. This is what it means to say, as Paul did in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. His passion for the lost, God's passion for the lost, and to do justice and to love mercy, they become our passion. Therefore, Isaac types have the freedom of desire. We have that freedom. We don't labor slavishly under the burden of having to do what we don't want to do. We're free to do what we love to do and to do it in joy. For God has caused us to be born again by the spirit of his son. And he's shaping our desire according to his will. And as you'll look at uh, as you move into chapter, chapters 5 and 6, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Amen.